0: Well, if you would, um, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. It's on page 857 in your pew Bible, if you want to look there. And Merry Christmas. We haven't gotten past Merry Christmas yet, have we? It's still Christmas weekend, and our passage is somewhat of a Christmas passage. Today we look at part of the birth narrative in Luke's Gospel. It takes place after Jesus' birth, when he is just 40 days old. Mary and Joseph bring the infant Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem. They encounter a man named Simeon who's been waiting all his life, at least it seems, for one thing. One thing that, if he saw it, would allow him to die in peace. What about you? What, if anything, could you see that would allow you to die in peace? Simeon was promised that he would not die until he saw the Savior of the world He not only saw him, he held the infant in his arms and burst out in praise. Simeon models for us how we are to wait with hope. We can and we should learn from Simeon. This morning we'll attempt to do just that. Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through 35. And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been re- revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, you now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. (laughs) Father, we thank you for this wonderful word to us. We're thankful that the gospel is often communicated best through stories encounters with Christ here on earth they foster deeper understanding in our lives and they cause us by your spirit to rejoice in Jesus all the more we pray that the life of Simeon and what he can teach us would be pressed into us this morning that we may be a people who wait well that we would be a people who wait with great hope we pray this in the name of Jesus amen Well, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but since yesterday uh, was Christmas Day, today marks the beginning of our wait until Christmas next year. To all the young ones, you find it hard to wait just five days for Christmas. We now have to wait 365 days for Christmas next year. The only consolation I have for you is that, well, 2022 is not a leap year. What we wait for and how we wait reveals a lot concerning our heart's desires. I don't know about you, but I need help with what I wait for and how I wait. See, waiting isn't just for children who long for the toys to arrive. All of us here are waiting for something. Some here are waiting for a marriage partner, others for a healthy marriage, still others perhaps for children of their own others for a job or for healing from physical illness or pain, or waiting for relief from depression or anxiety or loneliness, or waiting for the pain and the loss of a loved one to stop. Waiting, waiting, day after day, you wait. Christopher Ashe, who I'm indebted to, writes, Waiting can be a foretaste of the terrors of hell, for hell is waiting and waiting without hope. Often waiting feels like there will be no relief. It can seem futile, crippling. It can feel like hell. It can feel like eternity. Waiting and waiting without hope. My friends, the gospel changes all this for us. Oh, not that the gospel makes it so that we no longer long for companionship or health or security. But listen, the gospel has a way of absorbing all of your waiting into a cosmic story that makes sense of it all. Like a parent who holds tight a fearful, crying child and whispers, I've got you. Everything's going to be okay. So too, God holds us and embraces us tight in his gospel. Simeon knew this oh so well. He was fully absorbed in the gospel story, and because of this, he was able to wait with amazing patience and grace. Luke gave us the story of Simeon so that we would enjoy the consolation from heaven, so that we may wait, and as we wait, we could be transformed. And it has everything to do with seeing and holding on to Jesus. Let's look at the details of the story so that we can see how holding on to Jesus changes everything for us. We're going to look at that, uh, this under four headings. First, Simeon's sanctuary. Next, Simeon's solace. Then, Simeon's song. And finally, Simeon's sermon. His will be shorter than mine. Simeon's sanctuary was the temple of God where God's presence and his grace were mediated. Joseph and Mary traveled far to be in Jerusalem this day. There were two reasons for being there. Both of them were tied to the temple, Simeon's sanctuary. The Gospel writer Luke sets a scene for us. Jesus' parents do all the right things according to Scripture. First, there was a time of ritual, purification, that all Jewish parents were to observe, especially the wife. The Old Testament law is found in Leviticus, chapter 12, verse 6. After the birth of a child, the mother was ceremonially unclean until she went to the temple to offer a sacrifice on the 40th day. The law called for a lamp, pretty expensive, to be sacrificed, but an allowance is made in case one was poor. A poor couple could substitute a pair of doves or pigeons But Jesus' parents brought to birth. So Mary enters the temple precincts and a priest sprinkles warm blood upon her and purification was provided. Next, it was time for the infant Jesus to receive the redemption sacrifice. God had decreed after that first Passover night when he delivered the nation out of Egypt through Moses that, that the firstborn son belonged to the Lord, was holy to the Lord. And so a sacrifice was required of every parent in order to redeem the firstborn son now, not that Jesus needed redemption. We know he didn't. But since Jesus fully lived under the law of God, Joseph and Mary entered into the temple to offer a sacrifice to redeem their son to themselves. They were obedient. All of this took place in the temple, the sanctuary of God, the sanctuary of a wrinkled faced gravelly voiced old man. Luke tells us in verse 25 that Simeon was righteous and devout. This tells us that he loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might and strength. The holiness of God and the grace of God and the word of God was alive in him. And Luke adds that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. In verse 26 we read that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, that is, the Messiah. The nation of Israel had been waiting for the Messiah for over a thousand years, and it seems as if Simeon's been waiting for the Lord for much of his life. Now, I have no proof of this, but my guess is that Simeon was a fixture there at the temple. He was there every day, perhaps in the same spot, right? Lunch box filled with PB&J and Cheez-Its and a juice box. Though the people knew he wasn't a beggar, they probably talked about him behind his back. Maybe they would chide him as they passed by. Hey, Simeon, tell us again, why are you sitting here day after day? I'm waiting for the Messiah of God. God promised me long ago that I would see him with my own eyes before I died. The Messiah, the consolation of the people of God. Well, he better show up soon. You've not got long to live, Simeon. I think Simeon knew how outlandish his claims were, right? But I'm also sure that God gave him the ability to be gracious to all who mocked him over the years. And so to us, as we hold on to the same gospel promise of Simeon, others will mock us and ridicule us too. So let us be patient and gracious with them as well. Luke shows us that Simeon drew near to the presence of God on earth. God's sanctuary became Simeon's sanctuary. Think about it. He daily watched as sinners entered into the temple, dragging lambs and bulls and goats and birds. Sinners who delighted to experience the transforming grace of God that the temple sacrifices provided. He daily listened as the word of God was being read to the people. And daily he heard prayers of God's saints echo between the walls. And by God's special grace, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. My friends, there is no greater way to live than with the Spirit of God upon you and the presence of God's grace near you. Simeon knew that. The patience to wait upon the promise of God is yours when God is present in your life. And when his grace delights your soul like Simeon. Today we wait too, not so much at a physical location, right? We gather as the body of Christ. Jesus said that the church is now the temple of God. And the very same spirit that was upon Simeon, that allowed him to wait with hope. That same spirit has been given to the church and now gives us life. You know, one of the wonderful things about Grace Church is how we care for one another. We share our burdens with, with each other. We pray with each other. We comfort each other. We hold each other accountable. And as a whole, we gather and draw near to God. And we experience His holiness and His grace together. That's Simeon's sanctuary. Now first, Simeon's solace. In verse 25, we read that Simeon was righteous and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, when we hear that word consolation, do we not often think of a consolation prize that is given for like second place? And we tend to agree with the great Talladega Nights philosopher, Ricky Bobby, that second place is really just first loser. But consolation is a wonderful word, like a parent who says to a weeping child, don't worry, mommy and daddy have this under control. So too God sends a word of solace from heaven, and it, he, comes in the form of a baby. The consolation of verse 25 is revealed in verse 26 to be none other than the Lord's Christ. The word Christ is a translation of the Hebrew word, which we translate as Messiah, It means anointed one, anointed one with a capital A, in this case with a capital C, the Lord's anointed, the Lord's Christ. And we wait and we wait on this sin-stained, frustrating earth. And as we do so, we need solace, and God gives it to us. And listen, this is not, this is what we must come to understand. We're never going to be able to wait in genuine hope. Simeon did not look to Jesus as a consolation prize in our modern sense. No, he looked to Jesus as the ultimate prize, the ultimate prize that that trumps all other. Jesus is not the booby prize, in other words. As in, I, I was hoping to win the Powerball last week, but oh well, at least I got Jesus. Or I had my heart set on attending an Ivy League school, but oh well, at least I got Jesus. I was hoping to get married or have a healthy marriage or be financially secure to he cancer. But oh well, at least I have Jesus. That is not how Simeon looks at Jesus. Simeon sees Jesus as the ultimate prize. And with the ultimate prize in his very hand, all other things are put in their proper perspective. And my friends, that is what we need when we wait. We need Perspective, not just any perspective. We need the perspective that in Jesus we have the ultimate pride. And with a proper perspective that trust in Jesus provides, it works to comfort. Holding on to Jesus and esteeming him above all else was Simeon's solace, and it is to be our solace too. The baby in Simeon's hand is the Lord's consolation for the world. So we've looked at Simeon's sanctuary, we've looked at Simeon's solace, now let's look at Simeon's song, for in the song Simeon sings, we hear of the big story that can embrace us, so that we too are able to wait with hope, like Simeon, Simeon's song. Think about it. Simeon stood at the temple watching for likely years and years so he must have seen thousands of young couples pass by with 40-day-old infants under their arms and pigeons in their purses but with a twinkle in his eyes Simeon sees Joseph and Mary carrying their child there was something about this child the holy spirit prompts Simeon to approach the strangers may i hold your baby yeah Yes, you may, they say. He has waited so long, but not in pain. We've all held tiny infants in our arms, their tightly swaddled limbs and their bobbing heads. We look down on them and we start speaking in baby talk. Oh, oogie, boogie, woogie, noogie, oh, so cute. We all get it. It wasn't like that for Simeon. Simeon looks into the eyes of the infant Jesus and he starts singing, now I can die. Now I can die. He has seen seen God's Savior. Better than that, he has held God's Savior in his dry, wrinkled hands. Simeon knows what God is up to. And he sings of it in verses 29 through 32. Now, I know it's not really a song your feet can dance to, but our hearts must surely do so. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon sings a song saying, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. All my waiting is at an end. Why? Because I have seen with my own eyes the one who is your salvation, the one who provides great rescue for humankind. He's for the Gentiles, that is, the rest of the world, but also for Israel. One old man, one tiny baby, one place, one day. And yet in this baby is the only hope of rescue for the entire world. For each and every man and woman who has ever lived or will ever live. Simeon waited, but he did not wait in vain. For he saw the Lord Jesus Christ and held him in his arms. We too wait. We look back at Christmas time for the first coming of Christ and we embrace the birth of our Savior, just like Simeon, and as we embrace Christ, we confess that he and he alone is the ultimate hope in life and death. We don't just look back at Christmas, we look back at Good Friday, the day when Jesus became our sanctuary of holiness and grace as he gave his life as a sacrifice in our place. And we look back at Easter and rejoice. His bodily resurrection means that Jesus truly has conquered death itself and that new life in Christ is true and is coming for all who hope in Christ, and for all who wait for his return. And with eyes of faith, we wait and we long for his promised second advent, his second coming. And do we not also delight in Pentecost when God poured out his Holy Spirit upon the church? The very same Holy Spirit that was upon Simeon now dwells in us. And so we wait, we wait, we wait, but none of our waiting is in vain. See, when Jesus and his certain plan for this world is your greatest prize and not the booby prize, true and genuine solace enters into your life. That is Simeon's song. Now, think it through. Joseph and Mary brought Jesus into the temple that, that day to redeem him. But before them was a man proclaiming that this baby would, in fact, redeem them. No wonder his words sank in and they marveled at them. But when the song was over and Simeon's joyful a smile began to fade, he preached a somber sermon, which leads to our fourth point, Simeon's The gravity of what Simeon was about to say changed his countenance, and no doubt Mary saw it. Simeon had waited for Jesus for many years. Now he tells Mary what awaits her son. It is a word of warning. The son of yours will turn this world on its ear. We read beginning in verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword shall pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon preaches a four-point mini-sermon here. First, this child is appointed to facilitate the separation of all people into two camps, those who fall and those who rise. How you respond to Jesus truly matters. As the Messiah of God, the King of God's kingdom, how you respond to Jesus, the King, matters. You will either fall as one who rejects him or rise as one who embraces him. It's as simple as that, and it's as difficult as that. We humans are a rebellious, lot. We like the idea of God sending his son into this world to give us a little bit of hope. But as soon as Jesus challenges our allegiances, we tend to say, good riddance. I don't need you to rule over me. I'm fine on my own. When we live this way, we are in fact destined to fall. But if Jesus humbles you, he will lift you up. When you come to realize that this world isn't about you and your glory, when you come to realize that waiting for earthly success is actually foolish, then you are free to receive Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, like so. To the second point is that Jesus will be a sign that is opposed. And when you look at Jesus' life as it's lived out in the gospel, you will see that this was true. He was indeed a sign. He, he pointed to the Father. He made the Father known. And he pointed men and women to God and to God's kingdom. But right from the very start of his earthly ministry, people spoke out against him and opposed him. The very people who should have welcomed him, the religious leaders, spoke all kinds of evil about him. They despised him, maligned him, and mocked him. He was indeed a sign that was opposed. He remains so to this day. Simeon makes another point. He says the thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. Think about it. We're all pretty good at hiding our hearts, hiding our motives, our secret desires, our hopes, our fears. Because of the fall, we're even pretty good at hiding those things from ourselves. Christopher Ashe writes, the human heart is deep and deceitful, but this boy will peel back the disguises the hypocrisies, the pretenses to reveal the human heart in its true nature. And he, and he alone, can change that. The fourth point is this. All this work that Jesus brings to people to raise them up, be a sign that is opposed, And this radical changing of the human heart will come at great cost. So Simon, with wrinkled face, leaning in towards Mary, speaks directly to how Jesus' life, and more specifically Jesus' death, will feel like a cold, hard, steel sword penetrating and plunging into Mary's heart. What a horrible word, really, to speak to a young woman at the time of her life that is overflowing with joy. Mary, where this baby will one day go, will hurt you terribly. You will love this child, think about it, perhaps more than any boy on earth has ever been loved by a mother. But in three decades' time, you will stand in grief as you witness your son experience and endure Roman crucifixion you will see all the ugly brutality of evil on earth. Slay the only innocent person who's ever lived. He will be stripped naked, beaten, bruised, and mocked. And nine-inch nails will pierce his feet and his hands. You will watch your son die in agonizing death. You will see the sun go dark. You will feel the earth shake. And a sword will pierce your soul. Simeon knows that this is the work that this baby must do. If he or Mary or Joseph or anyone else on earth is ever to be able to wait with hope, then the Lord himself must secure our redemption. He must pour out his soul unto death so that our souls may experience life. Listen, as Christopher Ashe says, he can only be light by entering darkness. That's Simeon's sermon. Mary, this boy is going to turn the world on its ear. Let me ask you, has Jesus turned your world upside down? Or should I say, right side up? Has Jesus become your greatest hope and prize? Listen, sadly, if he's not your greatest hope and prize, then you will live all your days waiting and waiting and waiting and never experiencing true lasting joy. Yeah, you'll have fun days that sugarcoat the brutality of life, but you will never have a joy that transcends life, because only Jesus can deliver that. You. And for those of us here who have been pierced by the cross of Christ, you are to know that your life is in his hand. But also know this, the cross of Christ wasn't just his cross to bear. He said we must take up ours with him and follow him. And so we bear the cross of Christ, too, as we deny ourselves and follow him. This is a daily dying unto self so that Christ, by the Spirit of God in us, comes alive in us. And this also impacts how we wait on this beautiful but sin-stained world. Yes, the Christian life is one of joy, but it is also one of pierced hearts. So don't be surprised when putting others first hurts, when obedience seems costly, when letting go of past hurts feels painful. But it's in our taking up of the cross and filling up in our own persons what has been filled up in the sufferings of Christ. It's then that his light shines through us into this world. That is how Simeon lived and waited with that is how every follower of Christ to this day has lived and waited with hope. So let us live and wait with the hope that Christ gives us. Lord Christ, we, we confess, but more than that, we delight that mm-hmm. only you can provide the true redemption that brings us hope, that allows us to wait, wait with great joy, Wait with great purpose. And so we ask that you would remind us all the more this week as we exit this sanctuary of sorts that you are the one who walks with us in this world. You are the one who waits with us through all our anguish. You are the one who comforts us, and your gospel embraces us. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.